Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel 15. Again, we're studying the, the life and the ministry of our Lord. And um, again, just a shy, a little, well, over shy of a month, you know, will be finally where Jesus will be hanging on the cross for the sins of humanity. Um, we've got a ways to go there. Juan was just telling me this week um, how many studies we've done up to this point. Uh, forgive me, I, I should ask him before. But uh, we've been doing this for a couple years now. And um, we still have a ways to go because Jesus really goes into a lot of teaching towards the end of his life. And uh, mainly using parables and, of course, chapter 15 and chapter 16 we're going to study some of these parables that uh, uh, the Luke had penned out here, and and the and the grace that Luke displays, the grace that uh, he conveys here is just mind-boggling. Uh, none of the other gospel writers really do it like Mark, or pardon me, like Luke did, and probably because uh, Luke hung out with Paul the apostle for a while. And uh, I'm sure Luke um, captured the grace message through the Apostle Paul. Now, I am, um, I, I am debating in my own mind right now whether I want to read the whole chapter. There's three parables in this chapter. They all have one central thought. Um, and we know Jesus taught them back to back. You know what? Let's read through the whole chapter. So just let's just do that. And um, but probably we're only going to look at the first two this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Him, Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulder. He lays the sheep on his shoulders and, rejo and rejoicing. And when he, when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seeks diligently until she finds it. And when she had found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. This is his estate. He divided unto them his living. 
And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance on riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a, f a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine, pigs. And he would fain have uh, filled his uh, belly with the husk that he, uh, the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hireling servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Well, he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, he had compassion, he ran, he fell on his neck, he kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to, to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, he's found, and they began to be merry. Now the eldest, the older son, was in the field, and he came, and he drew nine to the house, and he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's, he had received him safe and sound. And he's merry and would not go in, or he would not go in, the older son. Therefore came the father out and entreated him. And he answered, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither disgraced or transgressed. At any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gave me a kid, a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was meat, meat it was fitting that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead. He's alive again. Was lost. Now he's found. Let's stand together and pray over these parables together. Father, we just, just pause for a second. And we take a deep breath. And we ask... Again, just to give us ears to hear. Give us understanding of heart. I pray, Father, that you would just, would you just help me this morning to speak with clarity? Help me not to be confusing. Lord, just I pray that the word that's delivered this morning would be something that wouldn't just go to the head, but it would 
make that journey down into the heart as well. That you would indeed, Father, let us leave here this morning enriched with the word of God. Please, again, if there's anyone here, Lord, that for whatever reason, Lord, they're just not able to receive from you. Maybe it's a valley they're going through. Maybe it's the cares of this life. Lord, maybe it's just something that just happened. I don't know. But for such a time as this, would, Lord, would you please give us again ears just to hear your Holy Spirit, the sweet Spirit of God. We love you, Lord. Commit our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. and amen. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm ready. See, there is so much here. And, you know, that's the problem, by the way, with parables. There's so much in a parable. One thing with a parable you want to be careful with. You want to be careful as a disciple not to draw, not to well, try or attempt to draw out doctrine, to draw out some theology. It's not the reason for a parable. A parable was a method of teaching. In order to understand a parable, the most important thing that the student, the disciple, needs to do is to find the reason for the parable. The fine reason for the parable. Why did Jesus give these three parables? In fact, there's more than three that day. There's even more if we go into chapter 6, which we're probably not. We're probably going to do the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and leave the parable of the lost son, as some call it, the, pro the parable of the prodigal son. We'll deal with that next week. But in order to understand Fully, you've got to find the reason why Jesus gave the parable. To find reason for, for the parable, you have to establish the context. The, the befores and the end, that's your context. The content would be the parable in and of itself. So are you, you with me still? And that's what we're doing. We're studying these parables, this method of teaching. A parable is something coming alongside of, uh, well, let me give, it, give you the definition. Paroblotis. Paroblotis. Some, it, a parable is something that comes alongside. Blotis is something that you throw. So it's something you're throwing alongside of. You're taking an earthly story, something they're really familiar with. And I can venture to say that you guys know, you, you know little of being a shepherd today. You have, you have a kind of an idea, but I hope I distort that for you by the end of this when this is over. But anyway, you take that, you threw um, a spiritual truth alongside of a story they're really familiar with, and that is the message to you and to I. The message of this parable. So, well, let's do that. Let's, let's establish it. First of all, you'll notice in all three of these parables, there is a central theme. And that is something was lost, something is found, 
And there's great rejoicing over that. We find that in, every, in, in each parable here. There's rejoicing over the lost sheep. There's rejoicing over the lost coin. In fact, when it comes to the prodigal son or the lost sign, they make merry. They're rejoicing. So that, that kind of gives us an idea of where Jesus is going with this. The context stems in chapter 14. This meal that Jesus had. And, he, and, at, and towards the end, he's ta- talking to them. If you're really going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be a disciple, well then, number one, you've got to be able to count the cost. Number two, you're going to have to forsake everything. If you don't forsake everything, it's not likely you're going to be a true follower of mine. And then he comes and he blurts out this thing, this, this kind of a little picture. I don't know if we would call it a parable, but he would say, now look, salt's good. Where did that come from? Salt's good. But if it loses its purpose, if it loses its taste, if it loses the reason for its existence, what good is it for? In our text it says it's not even good to be thrown on a pile of dung. Pardon me, that's my old King James there. It's not even good for that. Why? Because it's lost its reason for existing. See, salt was good in three areas. It was good, it was used for a preservative. It was, it was used for an antiseptic and it was also used as a salary. The Roman soldier would always get a pouch of salt uh, um, for part of his salary. He would get uh, some silver and then a pouch of salt. This is where the word is salarium. We get our word salary from it. This was part of his salary. And this is where also, by the way, where we, we get that phrase, oh, he's not worth his salt. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before? Ah, he's not worth his salt. He's not worth a hill of beans. I don't know that, that one, but he's not worth his salt. And so, and so when we read that parable, then all of a sudden, that's the context of it. He goes right into this parable called the parable of the lost sheep. Now, here again, the danger of trying to make doctrine or theology. You look through this parable, you think, okay, what's the central thing? theme is it? Is it about publicans and sinners? Is it about Pharisees or scribes? Is it about, is it about sheep? Is it about the wilderness? What is the wilderness? Who's in the wilderness? Who's the 99? Who's the one? And then all of a sudden you've got scholars are saying, well, it must mean this. And then people begin to make doctrine. Well, it's not about that. I don't know who the 99 are. I don't even know who the one. And really, does he represent the unsaved or the saved? Because we see that he repents. Oh, he's got to be unsaved. Really? Aren't we challenged to to repent when the time arrives? Sure. Doesn't necessarily mean it's an unsaved person. So there's danger when we just start to look at a parable and we go, okay, the doctrine is this. The theology is this. But it is important that we become students and we then begin to, to, to go through this verse by verse. Some words we're going to pull out. This is called exegesis of the scriptures. We're, we're kind of going through it. 
And that's and so it says, and then I'm hoping I can get past just then. But listen, in verse one, then what does he mean by then? Right after he says, "He that has an ear to hear." Now that again, that's important because it's not the only time that Jesus will use this phrase. If you've got an ear. Now, you and I both know that he's not talking about the physical ear that holds up our glasses and we dangle jewelry off of it. He's talking about a spiritual ear. Wednesday night, we, we just finished up the letters to um, the early church, Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And in each one except one of them, he says, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Now, now let me have your attention just for a second. Each and every one today here in this room, you have a spiritual ear to hear. Whether you can or not is really up to you. There's got to be a reason why Christians stop hearing. They become deaf, as it were. Closed ear, literally. You know what the sign language is for deaf? My ear is closed. Hearing people. Deaf people. I can't hear. I'm deaf. And then he's, he's kind of encouraging the believers in the book of Revelation. If you've got an ear to hear, you better hear what he said to Ephesus. If you've got an ear to hear, you better hear what he says to, uh, um, to Smyrna. If you've got an ear to hear, you've got to hear what he's saying to Pergamos, to Tyre, Tyre, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. If you've got an ear to hear. And listen, listen, we're all capable of becoming deaf. We stopped hearing. And I have to, and again, individually, we have to figure out, now, what's causing it? Why don't I hear his voice like I used to hear his voice? And each one of you, you should have just a little journal because you need to pen out those things where, Harry, this is why you haven't been hearing my voice to you. And it's because you're just so busy, you have no time for me. Or, Harry, here's why it's been hard to hear my voice. You've got the cares of this world choking out the seed of the world. Each one of us will be able to write a little journal, personal journal, to say, this is why I've stopped hearing his voice. And I'm crazy enough to believe that he wants to speak to us every day of the week. Are we hearing his voice? So then he spoke these parables because he said, if you've got an ear to hear, let him hear. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners. And why? It was so they could hear. It was as if the, the religious community, the Pharisees and the scribes, they became deaf people. They couldn't hear him. And yet, here's the crazy thing about it. Everyone there thought they were the hearing people. Hey, they're Pharisees. Listen, we say Pharisees and Sadducees as if it's a derogatory term today. But back when the whole Pharisaic movement began, it was for a good reason. 
You know, they, they're coming off of major wars and the destruction of the second temple. And, and they were trying to keep the law of God intact. But as time went on, they began, they began, they became very hardened. And in fact, the, the word Pharisee literally means the separated ones. Back when the Pharisaic movement happened, it, they separated themselves in order to protect the word of God, to protect the things of God, the laws of God. But then the traditions of man and the, their self-made interpretations, they became real hard. And what they did was they separated themselves from the people. What's a publican there in verse 1? A publican, well, he was the local tax collector. But in the minds of the Pharisees and in the minds of Sadducees and scribes and in the minds of the religious community, a publican was a traitor. He was the one despised, rejected. He was the one who would not be invited to a meal. He took sides with Rome. He's employed with, uh, employed with Rome. See, what happened is when Rome came in and they, and they began to, you know, to, um, to overtake Israel, they, they sectioned Israel into sectors, or maybe we would say um, counties, like we have counties here. And in each county, they would put this job out to bid. You know, they would put a job out to bid. You know, we're looking for a publican, a tax co collector for the Galilean district. And so tax collectors would put their dibs in for the job. Now, what Rome would allow a tax collector to do, see, they weren't paid by Rome, but you were allowed to pad the taxes, in other words, if Johnny owed, you know, fourteen hundred dollars in his taxes, you know, the local tax collector say, "I want seventeen. And John, well, wait a minute, it's only fourteen. Yeah, but my, I get mine too. That's why they were so despised and hated. In fact, if a a publican went to a party, a publican would only go to a party of another publican or hang out with the sinners. Despised. Well, who are the sinners? You would say, well, we're all sinners. Well, in this parable, what Jesus is alluding to is the notorious sinners. You know, they're the harlots. They're, they're those that can, were leprous, you know, that infected with that disease. It was the man with the dropsy. It's a man who, or the woman who was considered to be cursed. They're the, the notorious sinners of the day. And I love what it says here. They drew near to him because something, listen, they were hearing something. Were they part of that meal? I don't think so, but man, did they get wind of what was being taught there and they wanted to hear more. Just like you and I, when we go to church, when we go to a Bible study, we don't go just for the fellowship. The fellowship's important, but man, don't we go to hear the word of God, to hear the voice of the Lord in our hearts? Something is resonating in their hearts, the publicans, the sinners, and they come to hear what Jesus has to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees, again, not to belabor that, but the Pharisees 
the separatist, you know, those who just thought they were separated from everyone else. They were the legalists. They were the traditionalists. You know, they were the ones who put the word of God even over human need. I'm sorry, the traditions of man over human need. Jesus said that in chapter 14. Here's a man with dropsy. And yet you're saying it's against your law if I would touch or heal this man with this physical condition. The scribes were the copyists. They were the ones who day in and day out would just copy the scriptures. They became um, well versed with the scriptures. They were the lawyers. They were the attorneys. And look at this statement they make here. This man receives sinners. Aren't you glad? And he eats with them. Now you and I could just pass over that, that verse and say, well, what's the big deal? Sure, he receives sinners. Literally, what it means, he becomes friendly with sinners. There's a big difference receiving somebody and then becoming a friend with them. From time to time, I, that light goes on in my noggin. <laughs> that he's not only my savior, he's not only the one that I reverence, that I fear. But he's also a dear friend of mine. Jesus wants to be. He's given us that right. It's not our right to say he's our friend. It's his right to call us friends. It's his right to open up that door of friendship to us. Never take that for granted. It wasn't like, oh, you know what? I think it's a good idea. I'll make Jesus my friend. He eats with them. See, back then, you and I, if we hang out and we eat, it's not a real big deal. I mean, I kind of like it. I like hanging out. And I also like the fact that when I'm done, I can leave. I don't know what it was like when you grew up, but when dad wasn't home, you ate, you scarfed, and you were outside playing before the, the lights came on, on the street lights came on. Right. Back then, man, to eat a meal with a friend, that was a spiritual experience. That was something that was deep and meaningful. You sat down and you talked. You know, you, 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 how was your day? You know, I, your dad would want to know more about your day. Mom would listen in. There was something about it. If you were eating with your friends and you, 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 it was so spiritual, they literally thought that what was sustaining me is sustaining you. See, what would happen is you would get this bread very flat, you know, and then people would just start to spread or pass along this kind of a pita-looking bread thing and you would rip a piece off and you would... I would, I would hand it over to Mark, and then Mark would take a piece off, and then he would hand it off to Sonny, and then Sonny would take a piece. And then all the spices are all in the middle of the table, and you've, you've got your different fruits and vegetables, and you've got your hyssop and your olive oil. And, and if culture or mannerisms and customs teaches us anything, what you would do is you lick your bread, you stick it into the hyssop, and you would dip it into something else and take a piece See, there was no such thing called double dipping. You, right away you would go, ooh. You, some of you guys get so skeeved if somebody hands you something, you're thinking, did he wash his hands? Oh, my goodness. 
It wasn't like that back then. This hyssop and this olive oil and these different spices. Oh my goodness, that's sustaining Harry. And man, that's, that's sustaining Mark. And that's sustaining Paul. And, and we're eating together and we're a, really a family. And this is the ones who want to come to Jesus and hear his words. Not like the publicans, I mean the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious community. We don't want you at our table. Jesus, that, that's what's wrong with you. You misrepresent God. God wouldn't do that. How do you know? Well, the Pharisees don't do it. How does that make that right? No, he wants to sit at the table with the man with dropsy. He wants to sit down with the blind and he wants to sit down with the lame. He wants to sit down with the addict. He wants to sit down with the divorcees and he wants to sit down with those who have just made a mess of their lives. And he wants to just share a meal with you. And he wants to be a part of your life. See, religion destroys all that. The separists. I'm not a part of their group. I, it blows my mind when people excludes other people. It doesn't make sense because Jesus wouldn't even exclude anyone. Sorry for the emotions. But the reason why the church is not healthy today, and I mean Christendom, is because it's, it's becoming more and more pharisaic and separate. Look, he's not saying that we need to be relevant. He's not saying, hey, let's start having, you know, a Bible study with all the beer token and, and pot smoking. And then we're just going to be relevant today. And if they ask us again, no, whenever you see Jesus sitting down with the, the publicans and the sinners, the notorious sinners, it's because he's going to challenge them to come out from that. That there's hope with sitting down. We had a study in Linwood a few years ago, little town next to Camden. And I remember Irma would always make a, this meal. And I would go to this home fellowship and um, share this meal. And I'm not trying to... Anyway, it's the, the house is filled with unsaved kids. And there, there's addicts there. There's prostitutes there. There's people from Bloods there, a gang. And but I, we always shared a meal together before I would open the Bible and do a Bible study. It was probably one of the greatest experiences that I've had during the course of my ministry. There was one given night where I was teaching John chapter one. They did not know a Bible from any other book. They didn't know an apostle from an epistle. And when the lights came on and they figured that the, the word of God cre created the world and that he died for the world and it was Jesus, every one of them publicly accepted Christ that night. Yeah, he was a man that received sinners. And we need to do the same thing. So he speaks this parable saying to them, what man of you? Now, this is something that's very interesting. What man of you? He's talking to, I believe, the whole crowd. Yes, 
But because the Pharisees said, hey, this guy, he misrepresents God. He's eating with publicans and sinners. I think this this statement in verse 4 here is really directed towards them. What man of you having a hundred sheep? Well, you can see the Pharisees go, no way. That can't be directed to us, man. We don't even like shepherds. The, the coin, right? What, what, are you, eat, what woman? Having ten coins, she loses one. Well, that can't be addressed to us because we're not women. You know what the Jewish males would pray every day? Thank God I'm not a Gentile. And thank God I'm not a dog. And what do you think the third one is? Thank God I'm not a woman. They despise shepherds. See, the shepherds were considered the low class, the lower rung of society. They were rejected. In fact, the shepherd was not even allowed to give witness in a courtroom. They were considered the outcasts. In fact, if a shepherd came in with the sheep, they would say something like this. Hold on to your wallets. Shepherds are here. Which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep, now I don't know how you look at yourself. Do you look at yourself like a sheep? Most of us would say, yeah, sure. Because what we have done with the, with the shepherd, the image of a shepherd and the image of a sheep, we have glamorized it, Right? We got David out in the, out in the field as a, as a little shepherd boy playing his harp, beating off lions and, and tigers and bears, oh my, to protect his little sheep. No. My goodness, a shepherd. Oh, they, there was a certain odor about them. Sheep are not really, in the wild, in the wilderness, they're not really that glamorous to look, look at. In fact, a short, quick story. My wife for VBS, I think it was VBS last year, she needed to get some wool. So she doesn't want to buy it from Hobby Lobby. It's just too expensive. So what does she do? She goes down to the local shepherd, some sheep farm over there in Mickleton. Says, Can I buy some wool off you? Well, the woman says, well, it's first time, but sure, you know. So the woman goes out to the barn, grabs a bunch of wool, throws it into a plastic bag, hands it to my wife. Ermie comes home, thumps it out in the back porch, and it's filled with sheep dung. We're like just staring at it. This isn't what sheep wool should look like. Now, are you that? Are you sheep? And the Bible says we are. Why would he call us sheep? Well, let me tell you this, that the shepherd would not depend on the IQ of, a, of the sheep. The shepherd wouldn't ask for their cooperation. In fact, sheep, and I'm trying to be gentle with this, but they're so dumb. That if they see an opening, whether through a fence or whether through a, a, a narrow opening in, in the rocks, they will take that. Oh, oh, it's an open door. I'll go through it. And then they don't know how to turn around. They're so dumb. They won't turn their head to find out which way is home again. Is that you? Because the Bible says we're sheep. And that's what we are. 
He's not depending on our IQ to further his church. He really doesn't need our cooperation. He can do it on his own. It's our blessing when he uses us. Amen, guys? But there's something about sheep that they do have going for them. And that is the ability to hear their shepherd's voice. They will hear that. Harry Ironside, in his commentaries, um, shared a story. And uh, he was on the porch with an old-time sheep farmer. And uh, as they were just sitting over some tea or something like that, you know, all of a sudden, the, sh- the shepherd, we'll call him a shepherd, he stands up and Ironside, where are you going? He goes, uh, one of my sheep is, and he had hundreds of them. He, one of them, the sheep, they're lost. And he goes, well, how would you know they're lost? He goes, there's a certain bleeping of the sheep that they make, and I can hear them. I know them so well, I know when they're lost. And he will go out and he will find one. And it could just be around a stone hedge where this thing is lost. And he has to bring him back. But this shepherd knew that certain sound that they're lost. We're sheep, folks. Turn to John chapter 10 real quick because we still have to get through the other parable. John chapter 10. Oh, we don't have to, but it would be nice. John 10. I'm going to just read through a few verses here and, and just ask you to highlight a portion of them. But John chapter 10. Verily I say unto you, verse 1, He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, it was a sheep pen, but he climbs up in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This is a parable. Again, he's talking to him in a parable. To him the porter opens and the sheep, notice what he says. He's going to say this, I think, three, three or four times. He's saying, um, he hears the voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. And my question again, do you know his voice? The stranger will not, uh, the stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. This parable Jesus spake unto them, but they didn't understand it. The things which were uh, spake to them, and then Jesus said unto them. Now Jesus explains the parable. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that enter, or all that ever came before me, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. Literally, that to find pasture is to find nourishment. He, the thief come, cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, or are not, he sees a wolf coming and it leaves the, flea, the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. A hireling flees because he is not, because he is a hireling. He doesn't care for the sheep. Now listen, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. As the father knows me, even so know I the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. That's you and me. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there, there will be one fold and one shepherd. So therefore doth the Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up. No man takes it. And we can stop there. See the point that he's making here? That it, the sheep, if, if you are of that fold, then you should have ears to hear what he says. And it's through the Spirit of God. What does it literally, you know, I don't think I am going to be able to get out of this first parable today. I think it's so important that you see and understand what it means to be a part of Jesus's flock. And I got to ask you again. Do you hear his voice? Did you hear it more when you first got saved than you hear now? Have you been raised in Christendom where you just take it for granted that he is your shepherd, but you've never heard his voice. See, there is something so beneficial for the believer knowing he is sheep. And I know you know this psalm probably as well as the back of your hand, but turn to Psalms 23. You've got to go there. Oh, Harry, Psalms 23. My goodness, they teach this in Sunday school. Six verses. Some of you might even be able to say, yeah, man, I, I memorized this. Yet there's something that when I hear this being read at a funeral that just kind of bugs me. And I get it, though. I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death and all that. But honestly... This psalm is such a blessing. It's not a dirge. A dirge is a, a song sung at funerals. It's, it's not a funeral march. Let, let me read through it, and then I'm just going to highlight a, uh, some of the words. The Lord's my shepherd, and I shall not want, meaning I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, your rod, your staff. They comfort me. You even prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. But you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Does that really sound like a funeral march? To me, that's the, the, something that everyone who is a Christian, if you consider yourself a part of his sheepfold, you should know what this, this psalm means. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that speak of? It speaks of a relationship. The relationship that we have with Jesus um, should be like he is our shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He leads. He never drives. He's not a cowboy. He is the one who has a certain way of making a sound. And ears will perk up if you're a part of that, that sheepfold. And you will listen. 
because you know that you might get lost walking around a stone hedge. But when you hear that voice, you know exactly that's kind of relationship he desires to have with you and I. I shall not be in want. That means he will provide for our needs. He will supply. The Bible even tells us that by, according to the, his riches and glory, he'll provide for our needs. He causes me to lie down. Literally, he not physically forcing, but he, he manipulates a time where he goes, this is where I know that my sheep need to find rest for their souls. Did you ever see a burnout Christian? Always on the go, always on the go, always on the go. And you look at them and you think, my goodness, does this person ever take a break? Does he ever relax? Well, God, because he is his shepherd and because he provides for his needs, he will cause you to lie down and get rest. He doesn't want you burn out. Hey, what's the problem? I'm burned out for Jesus. Praise the Lord. What? A part of our walk with the Lord is knowing how to rest in his presence. Why does he lead him beside still waters? Because of the IQ of the sheep. Listen, did you know that sheep are so dumb? They don't even know the weight of their own wool. If they were to venture out into like uh, a, a small stream where there is a current, not only are they swept downstream, but they begin to fall under the water because of the weight of their wool. So he has to make sure that he, he leads them beside still waters. Oh, and by the way, the IQ, if they start making that funny believing sound of a sheep, you know, like, meh, whatever they do, the rest of them will think, oh, he's calling us in to take a nice cool dip. And they will all go in and drown. He restores my soul. Speaking of healing. And I know there's a lot of us from time to time. That soul needs healing. The, that word soul means our, our mental makeup. Our emotions. Sometimes we become so drained emotionally that it's going to take God and God himself to bring that healing. It says he leads me. Just It talks about just how the Holy Spirit of God leads us. He guides us. We don't have to worry about trying to find a road map to figure out what God's will is for our lives. You know, did you ever see someone just pleading, Lord, I want to know what should I do? Just be still. And listen, he that has an ear to hear, he'll tell you what to do. He loves you. He'll tell you what door to go through. He'll even say, will you stop knocking on that door? It's not going to open up for you. Give it a break. Then he opens the door that no man will ever close. That's the kind of shepherd he is. It's the kind of relationship as sheep that he wants to have with us. Where he says for his name's plural name's sake. It's dealing with the attributes of God that God is literally glorified through the holiness of our lives. Though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I think that's the only, listen, that's the only verse that many will pull out here. Although I walk through the valley. Well, what about the rest of the six verses or so there? 
But what does it mean? In our lives as sheep, let me have your attention, as sheep, that there will be challenges in our lives. Yes, there are mountaintops and there are glorious experiences, man. But nothing grows up there. It's when we come back down into the valleys, we begin to, to grow. It is a challenge. David knew it as a shepherd. He understood that. And there are things that just seem to be shadows around us, but we don't have to be afraid of them. He says, though I walk through the valleys of the shadow, he says, I'm not going to fear any evil. The, sh- the sheep can have confidence. He can just have confidence in his shepherd. That if he has to, and I'll bring that up in our closing remarks, but if he has to, he is going to keep, listen, listen, he is going to keep looking. He never gives up for when it comes to that lost sheep. And when he finds him, he doesn't give him a bop on the back of the head, you idiot sheep. This is the last time I'm coming out for you. Go ahead and drown. Dumb sheep. He doesn't. No, he takes us. He leads us beside green pastures because he knows we're so stupid we'll keep chewing on the roots. He leads us beside still waters because he knows we'll venture off into some kind of current and we'll drown. That we will go through valleys, experiences, but we don't have to be afraid. We can have the confidence For thou art with me speaks of his presence. You prepare a table that speaks of a hope. Even when I have to confront an enemy, it's he that prepares a table. It speaks of hope. You have anointed my head in the midst of confronting my enemies. You have anointed me. Literally means you have consecrated me. You have separated me. You have given me your Holy Spirit. My cup overflows. Even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I might have to be sitting at a table where my enemies are before me. Your rod and your staff, the instruments to leading sheep. They're going to comfort me. And it could go on and on as it speaks about my co- our goodness and mercy is going to follow me, speaks of the mercies of God. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever again. It speaks of security and it speaks of, of eternity. And then go back now to, to Luke. And I want to finish up with these. Rich, you can make your way out here, buddy. He says, which one of you, if you have a hundred sheep, you lose one one of them, doth not leave the 99. And again, we don't know who the 99 is. But I'll tell you this, though. In my studies, I've discovered the wilderness right there means a, a large green pasture, not wilderness as you and I think of. And it also speaks of a community flock. So there's more than just one shepherd. He doesn't leave 99 alone. There's other shepherds there watching. It's not the point that he's making in the parable. Right away we want to talk about, well, this is the backslidden Christian. Now, it's not what he's talking about. Well, Harry isn't back. Listen, it's not a study about being backslidden. It's talking about this one particular sheep who got lost and the shepherd is not going to give up until he finds him or her. 
And when he finds him or her, he doesn't rebuke that person. No, what he does, he puts him or her on his shoulders. Isaiah says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. But here he talks about a lost sheep where he will put that sheep upon his shoulders. And I don't know what to make of this, but he doesn't take that person back to the wilderness. If you look carefully, he takes them home. They're home. Listen, he carries us. You don't do this journey on your own. Uh, Isaiah, I want to read this out of note takers. It's Isaiah 46, verse 4. Don't, don't turn there. It's, I don't have the time. But anyway, listen to this. And even to your old age, even to your old age, it says Isaiah 64. Maybe some of you are a little older, a little older, but after 60, you're just old. <laughs> Rich is getting there. 10 years, he'll be there. He'll be up here. He will, he'll be called the, uh, the whore hairs there in, in verse 4. That means gray hairs. He's already sporting the gray hair. But this is what it says. Again, sorry for the being human. But listen. Even to your old age, I am he. This is God speaking. Even to the whore hairs, meaning gray hairs, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear you. Even I will carry and I will deliver you. I got saved in 1973. I knew it then that I was a sheep. I was as dumb as a bag of rocks, man. I knew that. I, I know, I'm kind of glad I knew that about myself because I knew that it wasn't my, my intelligence that was going to get me in the kingdom of God. It would have to be grace and grace alone. And I got guys all around me where I can say God has been carrying them. I, I think of Jerry's testimony. How God carried him through so many valleys to get him to a place where God poured out his gift of repentance upon him. God carried him. I know this guy's testimony. Raised by a single mom. Things he would go through as a teen. God carried him. He was lost. Put him on both shoulders. Now we're older. Things didn't change all that much. Just got grayer. Bald. But I want to tell you something. He's still carrying us. And he's still carrying you. And there might be a time where you leave and you find yourself out of just sheer stupidity, alone and lost. Just know that he's looking. And the way you're going to find him or the way he will find you is if you hear his voice. And go to going back to the context. If you're deaf this morning, your ear is closed to the things of God. Why? Too busy? Is there pride? Is it a sin issue? 
This morning would be a time to say, God, open my ears. And give me ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And there is repentance required. That means just a change of mind, head in a different direction. The direction of the voice. Amen. Let's stand together. Central thought. Something was lost. Something is found. Then they all made merry. They all rejoiced. Why would, why would Jesus want to be our shepherd? Ferguson, theologian from Scotland, raised on a sheep farm, swore to his dad he would never become a shepherd. They stink, dad. It's hard work. And one day, after all his seminarian training, he was sitting somewhere in a seminary, and he realized the reason why his dad and his uncles were sheep farmers, he goes, the only conclusion was, man, they loved sheep. That's the only reason they would do it. And that's why Jesus is our shepherd. He loves us. Let's worship, and then we'll pray out.